Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Oh my god, I have a similar I have a similar situation going. Whatever that look was. Yeah, you go first. You go first. Okay, girl. So, you know, I'm hustling, hustling, trying to get a job. And yesterday, um, uh, this is so weird. yesterday we finally Miles and I finally figured out like maybe I should just work at his company because they're a good company. Anyway lovely people, whatever. So I just submit my resume and a cover letter for a job that I, that is supposedly open, right? A great cover letter. Cause that's what I excel at. I mean, anything else goes to shit, but I can really do a cover letter. So, um, no, but so I sent it and then I get this call. Okay. So then I'm going to see in the car, our friend, Erica, our good friend, Erica, um, so I'm going to see her, uh, and we're going to take a walk and talk about, uh, this possible documentary, you know, that you and I want to make whatever. Yeah. So I get five missed calls from Miami and I'm like, what? I, I know no one in Miami. Like Miami is like a place I know no one. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to pick up. And finally I'm in, I'm in the drive through of the Starbucks and I make it a habit of not talking on the phone while I'm picking up my drink. So, but I'm like, someone, I'm like thinking someone's in trouble, you know, like that's where I go. I'm like, someone's in jail or my niece, whatever. So it's this woman and she, you can tell, you know, like English is not her first language. That's fine. Like English is barely my first language. Anyway. So, so I'm talking, she's like, hi, we have an interview for you today at this company, you know, the company. And I'm like, "Oh, oh, okay. Well, she's like, can you do it? at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm like, 3 p.m. Eastern time, two, two, uh, one, two, one, that's, that's noon, right? Yeah, noon. I, sorry, I had to do the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, was, I thought you, I thought that's what you were saying no, to her. No, 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 <laughs> yes, it's noon. noon. And I'm like, and it's 1140 at the time, or yeah, it's 1140 oh. LA time. And I'm like, okay, so, so in 20 minutes, she goes, no, 3 p.m., and I said, okay, just send me the invite. I'll cancel. So I canceled with Erica and then I'm waiting on the invite. And then I get the, I, I rush back to put, throw some lipstick on and rush back to co-working to do the interview. And I have like a, an invite from her that says 5 PM. 5 PM. LA, LA time. <laughs> okay. So then I'm like, okay. So then I call this person and I'm like, Hey person. And then. It is a comedy of mother. This is just like the tip of the iceberg of my day yesterday of motherfucking errors. She goes, no, 3 p.m. Your time is 5 p.m. It it became and then it was Gina. It was so insane. And I'm like, listen, lady, am I supposed to jump on a call in five minutes? Do I click this in five? Like at this point, I'm shouting in the, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to do. And she's like, no, you're not letting me speak. I said, okay, go ahead. And she proceeds to say, I'm looking, I don't know what, she doesn't know that my husband works for the company. She goes, I'm looking at my boss's calendar and we have you. And then she starts talking about mountain time. And I'm like, lady, mountain time is an hour later and then she didn't understand so i literally gina gina this is what i said i am so 
I didn't know what else to do. It was like talking to a drunk, right? Or a, a, a person out of control or a crazy, like, like I said, listen, ma'am, ma'am, I don't, I don't invent or make time zones. <laughs> I didn't know how else to, I said, they are a thing that I cannot change. And she goes, what? And I said, here's the thing, like what you're saying isn't actually making any, it's not working. And I go, I don't, I didn't invent time zones. It's a real thing. And she just was quiet. And I said, okay. And I had her boss's email and I'm the kind of bad bitch now where I'm like, I'm just going to cut out. I, I can't do this. So yeah, right, I mean, right. I just don't have it in me. I'm old and I'm, I'm just, I know my shit. So I'm like, thank you so much for your help. I got to go. And then I just emailed her boss and was like, listen, your assistant and I are like having an epic comedy of errors, like time zone garbage fire. Like, what do you want me to do? And she goes, oh, she wrote back and said, no, no, it's, it's one your time, two mountain time. And the other person on the call is in New York. It just, this is the working from remotely different time zones, right. no, English being a problem. And also like, I think that it's so interesting. I think the assistant was trying to be assertive and like hold boundaries and thought I would, but didn't understand that we actually had a fundamental problem about like math right 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 and so then uh, and then this and then i said okay so i got that settled i said i'm gonna jump on this call in an hour then yes okay then i get a call from the assistant again and i'm like hi she goes i am so sorry and i said you know what it is okay she goes i i I said don't even worry about it i just i couldn't i literally said like gina i couldn't take it anymore ma'am i had i had to (laughs) i had to I had to do something else. Yeah, yeah. This it had to stop. It had the, we had to like Susan Powder. We had to stop the insanity. It was just getting out of control. Well, I I, I had a similar comedy of errors with Jet Blue. Okay, which is to say, go going back about a month. No, not even a month. Like actually, it was only two and a half weeks ago. You know, we had this planned thing where. Aaron was going to take the boys to Utah and I was taking Chris to Florida. And I had a feeling that he never booked the tickets, but I didn't, I didn't put that. It was one of those things. I didn't put it in the front of my brain. So we're sitting around and I go, what time do you leave on Saturday? He says, Oh, I got to look in my email. So he's looking and I can see the panic is going over his face. And long story short he he didn't book the tickets and so i i said i would do it but the JetBlue website was having a problem so i would go i would get everything all teed up oh, yes and then when i tried to book it it would say there was a problem correct so i did that four times oh they charged you four times so they charged my oh, credit card my God. Oh. um i mean like fifteen thousand yeah. dollars <laughs> yeah sure sure yeah. sure yeah and so um when the first time we called the guy said, oh, don't worry. The charges will fall off. Okay. And some of them did. The three big ones did did fall off. But now it's, you know, it was a few weeks later and not all of them had fallen off. So I called JetBlue. 
And of course, whenever you call any company, the first thing they do is say, we are so grateful you called. Please don't call us. Please email us. Please go to our website. Please talk to our robot. So I did. I I, exchange, oh, nice I, I started. It was nice of me. And I, I agreed to be in line on a text. So they oh, were going to contact God. me when it was time to start texting with this person. So oh, I get notified 45 minutes later. Helena is available to text uh-huh, with me. So uh-huh. Helena and I are back, you know, back and forth. Hell, and hell, 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 the key. Yes. And she it quickly she quickly realizes that this is not this is above her pay grade, and I'm gonna have to speak to a supervisor. So she tells me to call one eight hundred JetBlue, and I say, "Well, Helena, we have a problem here because." I did call 1-800-JETBLUE and it told me to text you instead of calling. She says, no, you call this number and, 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 and that's uh, customer service. I said, but your customer service. Yeah, but I can't help you. And, and, and we're just having this weird back and forth sure. until, until finally I get a thing on the text that says, hello, this is Helena. How can I help you? And I said, is this, I wrote back, is this a robot or a person? I get back. I am a person. Okay. Are you the Helena who couldn't help? Oh me or my God. Or are you Helena, the supervisor? No answer. Are you both named Helena? It was so crazy. Anyway. So it's like a fucking movie, right? Here, it got right resolved. Here. It got resolved. And then yesterday I see a I go up on my credit card and I see that they've been recharged. Sure. Sure. So I call JetBlue. I wait on sure. hold for one hour. Sure. Oh my God. I ex- calmly explain <laughs> to the lady and she, she asked me, does it, does, does the credit card show like a ticket number? I said, it just says blah, 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 American airlines. Blah, 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 blah. And then I went, uh, it's American Airlines, not JetBlue. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my! And her response was like, "Girl, I feel you. Like that is just what is happening in this world right that now. Is. This it world, is. we are so like I know every generation says the world is going to end, but in our case, we really yeah. have a good yeah. case for beating out every other right dude, like." Dude. It is, I have noticed, so like, then, yes, Gina, that is like a perfect thing of why the world is going to end. It's just because we're all, we're all doing that. And then, so I get on the interview with these two people and I'm not going to, you know, bad mouth a prospective employer. I will say they looked so whooped and not their fault. I'm not saying ugly. I'm not, but like they have been through it like through it sweatshirts akimbo like <laughs> chi- no, chi- no. you're wearing a sweatshirt and it's akimbo that's bad sweatshirt that's like, like the, the, the thing is akimbo and the t-shirt under it's akimbo and like there's like half drawings of kids stuff on the back wall <laughs> like everything i'm like oh wow wow i'm like presentable i got like lipstick on i look and i'm like Oh, whoa. what's happening? You, everyone needs a lot of help right now. Yes. Like well, a lot of help. 
So how'd the interview go? I had a blast. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, here's what you get when you get me. These are all my experiences. If there's a way to make it fit in your organization, great. If not, maybe not. Like, I that's how I said oh, it. I love that. That's so wise. Be- because I I have so much different shit in my background and also I'm open to things and also at the core of who I am is I want to work with people who are kind, but also efficient, who are, have their shit together, but also are compassionate. And the kind of work is actually less important than that and the pay rate. Well, that's all true. But what, and what I feel so impressed by is that inherent in that was a decision not to do what you've probably always done in the past and what I certainly have exclusively done, which is let me see what the need is. And then let me just contort myself to be, to meet their need, which never works. Like, at, like no matter how many times it didn't work, I still, that's still the, well, the approach that I took. That's our manifesto. Like that's the whole thing in our yeah. manifesto is like trying to fit into something, but here's the other thing. Like literally when they started talking about the actual job, it was so vague. I I, I, I don't, I, I I didn't know what was going on. They were using terminology and like part of it is that I don't know that world. Like comms, a lot of comms talk, communication. Communications. Like, okay. What's, saying, what, well, you rest, don't say the name of the company, but what is, what do they do? It's like a tech company that okay. like, but they're all over the world. It's, it was started as a startup and just went public. They have a lot of good people, but like, I don't know their lingo. Right. So they, right. but even if I knew the lingo, it was as if, I don't know. I don't know. I was just like, okay, so you, your description of actually what I'm doing on this call is va- so vague that I actually have to take over now. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No. Communications was being thrown around a lot. Well, comms. This entire that's... story so far is just rife with terrible communication with this time zone thing and and what they're communicating to you by wearing akimbo sweatshirts and that they can't communicate to you about what what the job is or what they're doing i didn't understand what was insane insane and so and also i think they do they have a tremendous amount of clients and partners in the ukraine so that they're like and they're doing really a lot of work to try to keep their workers safe. Obviously. I mean, I'm, it's not altruistic. I'm sure they need worker, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but they're also really helping, but they just literally had looked like they've been through a war. I was like, wow. So basically I was like, okay, well I need to take over this interview. If there's going to be any kind of, <laughs> any kind of anything. I, yeah. I, I mean, and so I just, pitched myself i mean that's what i do all day every day in hollywood so like i it's you're good at it and it also doesn't fucking scare me like i I, what is scary to me is auditioning sure uh callbacks yeah being on set horrified but like talking to people in a meeting what have i got to lose i've done it four thousand seven hundred and twenty times and also uh tangible things have not come out of it but it doesn't so it's not as though I've had a bad experience. It's just like I've had experiences where like I haven't seen the flowers yet of the seeds I've planted. So I'm not traumatized right. by it. I'm just sort of like, whatever. It's like I'm at co-working anyway. So I, I could do this. I could do a general with you guys, you know, with you two. I 
Well, did they seem to feel reassured by yes. your ability to take over yeah. the, okay, that's good. Yeah. And I, I didn't like say like, okay, I wasn't like, I didn't go whole hog, like crazy, like what's wrong with you people? I guess I have to run this interview. It was more like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to just, there was silence, right? A lot of silence. <laughs> and they looked at each other, like I one just grabbed the other, I think, to come on the call. Nobody knew what was happening. Oh, it was really And when on. I said to the assistant, Hey, can we do this Friday? You know, afternoon? She goes, No, they really want you on today. Today. It has to be and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? Are do you want are you sure you're talking to the right person? They don't know <laughs> me. What do they need me on today for? I don't know what's happening. So it was just an interesting, it's an interesting time, Gina. It's like a crazy fucking time. Hey, let me run this by you. That's a great example. Because the thing I'm really struggling with is like, the world is ending. Do I really need to keep refreshing our download numbers on my <laughs> web browser? Um, do I really need to like start doing yoga? I just feel like the world is, but then there's this thing like you're describing it's humanity. That's the thing that always comes through in the end. I have to say life finds a fucking way. Life finds a way as garbage as people are, particularly men. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. Like men ruin everything as garbage as people are. There's also, and I guess Zelensky being a great example of, of a, a good exception, a good man. Uh, there's always people there who are ready to turn it around and do the right thing and make the better choices and, you know, medicate people who are out of control in their decision making. Yeah. We, we, we have to take comfort in that. Yeah. I mean, I, there is comfort. I think that it is, um, yeah, and it reminds me of like the sort of Adam McKay stuff of like, I mean, there, there I, I haven't seen all of <laughs> Don't Look Up, but like, you know, I think through art, there's got to be a way to to like help in some way. Like I was just, I, I'm thinking about like, yeah, humor, humor helping. The other thing that I have stumbled upon is I think, okay, so I wrote, I have a friend, um, a a guy friend from Chicago, um, who's a director and he moved to LA and he's hilarious. And he's like me married to someone not in the business. He's like a normal guy. Right. And so he's, he's like, he wants to direct horror. He's a commercial director, but he wants to do horror. And he's like, do you have a horror film? I'm like, well, no, I don't have a show. He wants to direct a horror short. But then I wrote this piece called the weight of breath about my body. Right. And, and he's like, Oh, this is body horror. And I was like, what? And That's it's a, a whole new genre, feminist <sighs> fucking body horror where it's a genre. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm obsessed. So it is well, like that's very much was in your piece that you wrote. Explain it to me more though. Okay. So I didn't know it existed. So this, it all kind of coincided. So I talked to this guy, Justin, who I adore. And I said, and he, I said, well, I could send you the only short short I have that's written that I wrote for a submission and didn't get anywhere. Sure. I'll send it to you. Whatever. It's about a woman who is covered in spanks, can't breathe, oh, yes, gets yes, broken yes. up with, grabs a huge pair of scissors and starts hacking away at her, at her, um, spanks. And then you think she might kill him and then he leaves. Okay. Bye. A fat lady that, that like has a, a breakup kind of, anyway, he, he's like, Oh, you're like one step away from horror in this. She just needs to, it's the way we'll shoot it and she'll hurt herself 
a little bit while she's you'll see blood and also the the Spanx um uh metal will dig into her body and you'll see like a, right, a puncture right. so that is body horror and i was like oh i'm all in and the oh, and wow. the impetus for that short was i was on set i don't know if i ever talked about this i was on set i was cast in something as a nurse and i had and the and the costumer said you're gonna wear spanks right in under my even scrub. though you were you have scrubs yeah yeah i was like Okay, so I bought this special pair of Spanx that I did not try on before I got to set that had metal ribbing, metal ribbing, too small, but now I'm in them and I'm on set and I'm already petrified because I'm petrified and they start cutting, it broke loose of its binding and the metal started cutting into my stomach. And you couldn't sit down. And I couldn't sit down and I couldn't. I, I couldn't tell anybody because I was so embarrassed and I told this to Justin and I couldn't and I got home and I had a huge gash that was infected in my stomach, my area of most self-hatred, my belly, my gut, and it was bloody and it was bruised and I thought, oh my God, so that's body horror, right? And like the way you tell that story is feminist body horror and I'm like, oh my God, and I think, Gina, it's gonna be... Well, what I'm wondering is, is it the only way that women get to express themselves in Hollywood is by making like body horror? First of all, having a body is a horror. Correct. <laughs> I mean, you know, that that's a great premise for a whole, pardon the pun, big body of work, because um, I, I think about that with relate with respect to being fat, but I also think about it with respect to being Oh, aging, right? Aging is such, and and being fat and aging is like such a horrible combo because young and fat is a different thing than old and fat, right? Old and fat is just like well, young and fat has this positive connotation. Well, like just, also you could there's underlying is that you could always lose it. You're young enough to lose it. You're, it's there's still time, right? And if yeah. not, like if not, body positive, fat positive movements are like taking hold. But old and fat, no. It's all yeah, yeah. That I I, I always I often wonder: Do the body body positive folks know that the biggest thing they have on their side right now is that they're young and fat, as opposed to anyway. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm sure that is the only way in. I mean, our only way in as women to anything that has been traditionally uh, closed off to us is violent, right? I mean, that's the only way right. we ever get into anything. And we always have a lot of casualties in the fronts of these feminist wars, you know, um, the sexual revolution. I mean, not that it didn't happen always, but, uh, you know, more spotlight on um uh, the free love movement meant women were the casualties of a lot yeah. of sexual abuse and rape, um, rape and pregnancy traumas, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but you know, like you did in your beautiful blog post, people, if you haven't read it, please go to our website and read Jen's uh, post. Um, luckily for us, we're really, we're really familiar with this horror. We're really familiar with this pain and if we can turn it into art, then then I, I hesitate I hesitate to say it will have been worth it, but at least we can do something. Well, I'm going to turn horror. it. Yeah, I want to turn it into money too. 
that that's where you make people pay. I mean, that's the yes. pocketbook way. Right. I, I'm like, right. which is why, like, I'm getting a job outside of this industry first to be like, okay, I, I'm studying bros that did it and how they did it. One, they're bros and they probably, it's all nepotism, but also if the, that's not the case, they started in advertising, nothing to do with Hollywood, but Hollywood, but not Hollywood per se. And they, they made money that way and then sunk it into their own projects. And then they were able to, and they made contacts in the advertising industry. That's how so many bros have done it in Hollywood. So many bros. That, that, the genesis of that is so beautifully displayed in Mad Men. You see mm-hmm. the character. I forget the name of the character that um, Vincent Krautheiser was. Yeah, in, yeah. Where that he, you know, he he. I just remember he gets involved in a high a campaign for the sport of high ally, and he starts. Uh, there's something about it's going to be on television and you just see him getting so sucked into the glam. I, you know, it's, it's a, it's an undeniable glamorous draw for people who are not in the industry. Like, Ooh, everybody thinks it's glamorous to be on TV. And yes. And people in advertising are like the perfect blend of, you know, cutthroat and creative maybe a little bit. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm like doing, yeah, that that my blog post was completely, completely um, uh, started by that. Uh, like because I'm one nosy, two um, uh, quick, three know my way around, and my memory's great, and know my way around research. I literally saw names, did this, did this, did that, did this. Is everybody okay? Yeah, yeah I don't working. know what's going on. I don't know. I think there's a fight. What? Oh my god. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the guy. Does it the... seem like it's inside the building? Oh oh it's two co-workers. It's two people oh. at co-working. There's a guy, there's a movie maker on the left and a a, a professor on the right and they got into it. About Ukraine, probably. They're probably talking about that. They might be. I don't know. Anyway, that's forgive me. Anyway. No, no. (laughs) Whoa. So, okay. So, but it was, I I just could research and put it together. And I'm like, okay, who are these people? What are they doing? Oh, they did this. Oh, and look, 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 look. Of course, people are like, well, someone was like, well, you know, you know, one, it's bad for business to talk shit about the industry. And I'm like, okay, but there is no business. I have no business. What business do I have? I don't, somebody said that, like, you shouldn't write that. Like, like, like you want to be careful. And I was like, okay, well, it's never as if that's ever worked. Well, it doesn't work. And also I said, lady, it was a woman too. And I said, listen, I have no work. There is no work. What am I, what do you mean? I won't get hired. I'm not getting hired. Not I, I, this is not, no, like that doesn't even make any sense. It holds no water because it's just, it's not true. And, you know, I won't be hired if I'm dead because I stifle myself and then have a heart attack. Mm. You know what I mean? So mm. um, uh, anyway, th- that people say all kinds of stuff, but I also know that it is a bigger problem. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's not about these two three, two dudes and an assistant at a table. And it is about the dudes and the assistant at a table. It's a much larger problem. So um, 
I am well aware that that these three dudes are not the whole problem because people are like, you know, maybe they're nice. I'm like, oh, my God, you're missing the fucking point. You're missing the point. I'm nice, too. I don't have a fucking job with an or script with my name on it. And we have all internalized patriarchy to such a degree that like we miss it when it's gone. I, that group that I left, oh yeah, it has gone, you know, I'm still, I'm still a member of the group, even though I'm not, you know, in any type of a leadership position. Is everything okay? Yeah. Everything is okay. 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 Um, The first thing that happened when the majority of us left is a bunch of men or like a few men came in to, it was an all female board and and now it's there's there's men on it which is fine um and the one of the first things they did was they reinstituted do you know what robert's rules is no what's that it's like a way of conducting a meeting where you have to have motions and seconds and all of you know it's, it's, it's like very, a business, is it like a business meeting in a 12-step group have you ever done that? Oh, like, do they? I don't, I don't know if they oh, use yeah. Robert's rules or not. They do. Okay. Well, sure. And I and on the face of it, I understand it's it's meant to be. It's meant to ensure that everybody gets to speak their mind, and you know, and it and it's meant to be. You know, it's meant to in, promote cohesion, but it just, something about it, it's like. Robert's rule like that's what came in it's just Robert's rules now it's just it's gross and it's and and you know and the organization has just gone it's as it's as if our whole tenure there was a fever dream and they all went like that was weird and they just moved right yeah, back to right, where right. it all was before right that's really so, sad that's super sad it's sad and I feel like in the same way that a group of humans will always look for a leader a group of humans will always look for the, a man to, to be in charge, right? It's it's we it's so deeply embedded in our DNA. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Canadian playwright Dave Devoe, aka Peach Cobbler, his drag queen alter ego um if you watched a television show in the i think it was in the early 90s called are you afraid of the dark you probably saw dave because he in addition to being a playwright and a drag performer and an actor he was a child star so dave is warm and funny and like just really a breath of fresh air so please enjoy our conversation with dave devoe this differently for the first time i'm asking dave devote did you survive theater school did you go to theater school i think parts of me did but you went to theater school i did okay okay Okay. can you imagine imagine? i'm like what are you talking about no no we've had it yeah we had we've had just one person who she actually more than one person people have different conceptions of what theater school is and some people do a theater major and they don't know the difference between that and a conservatory. I, I I couldn't care less, but I just didn't know for certain with you. So 
congratulations, you did survive theater school, but wait, say what you're going to say more about you survived parts of it. Well, no, like, I think like parts of me survive, right? Like, I think, I think we, we all come out of theater school, like a slightly different assembly of parts than we come in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for some people that's great. And I think for some people that's super detrimental. So we'll see where we all fall on that. Which, what, what part of you was a casualty? Uh, you know what, oddly enough, um, the, the actor part of me, was, I think was a casualty, like, because I sort of came to theater school from a very, um, let's start at the beginning. I, I was a child actor in film and TV from a young, young age. Um, and so then, um, sort of went to theater by starting in film and TV, uh, because theater felt, you know, like a really safe, lovely, community-driven space. Um, but but I think what theater school gave me is, like, I came into theater school thinking I'm going to be an actor, and I left knowing I would be a playwright for my life. Oh, so, that's amazing. Yeah. So that was a Wait, First of all, back, up, back it up. Back yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Child, we've had one other child star. Jonas Avery was on. Okay. Um, um, but but he went theater and then film and TV and back to theater school. So tell us, you really how did, what happened there? It how was, did that go down? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a bit bizarre. Um, I, I was a you know a sort of theatrical precocious child, um, and there you know and I was really into like we we go see a lot of theater growing up. Not a lot. I mean we but my parents don't come from the arts, but they were like let's expose our kids to interesting things. Um, and then I was, I must've been in like kindergarten, grade one, something like that. And there was a teacher's assistant in our class who spoke to my mother saying, my mom's an agent and your kid is really like vivacious. And do you think that's something he'd be interested in? And my mom was like, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so anyway, we met with her and, and, um, and my mom's like, is this, like, is this something you're interested in? I was like, sure, let's do it. Let's see what happens. And um, and so I just started doing like a lot of commercials, you know, when, like when I was a little, little one. And then um, I'm, my mom was great as far as just really constantly checking in of like, is this fun? Like, is this a thing you like? Because, I mean, I don't think it was fun for like schlepping a kid around to endless audition. That's not fun. Gina um, knows. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do that with my kid. It's not fun. Oh, Wait, I have to time yeah. out one second, Dave. Your the your microphone here. It it sometimes Should I just hits, hold it like yeah, there because it hits yeah. your shirt and it makes a. <clears throat> Sorry, please continue. Yeah. Um. So. So, you know, okay, so wait, 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 I, I can I can start us off. Sure. With what, what you just said was super interesting. When you met this person, were you thinking like, oh, this is an agent? Like, or were you just like, what was going on in your brain? Know what I was thinking? I, I think it was more, you know, that like, I think that the, the idea of like being on camera is really novel to kids. Because I think it's very different now. Like we live in a social media age. But like, in the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that, yeah, probably like late 80s at this point, that's like, that's a cool thing. You know, we don't even have a big camcorder at home. Like this is, a, I can be what? In front of a camera. Let's try that. So it was great. Um, and um, and then when we, when we moved, uh, we had to move a lot for my dad's work. And so, but we kept moving to like bigger and bigger film and TV hubs, right? Like, so when we settled in Montreal, 
um, I, the agent I'd had in Calgary had sort of forwarded us to an agent in uh, in Montreal, and and then I started actually going out for like like real stuff, like films, and and then I booked a series, and then it was like, oh, we're doing this, okay. Um, and so, oh my, how old were you when you booked a series? Like that's everyone's was, dream, by the way. That in LA, right? So yeah, I was uh, the first season, the first series. I would have. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that's a great question. I was probably like nine or ten. Wow. Uh, no, and maybe a bit a older. I might have been like I might have been twelve by then. And you were a series regular, like yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so what in the hell. But I mean, it's it sounds like it's way more uh, work than it is because. So do you do you remember the Nickelodeon show? Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. So that was the show. that was the show. So I was part of the campfire. Which, so yes, I'm a series regular and I appear in every episode, but it's like, there's a scene at the beginning, there's a scene at the end. We shoot the whole like season in like three weeks, okay. right? So okay. it's not. But still, yeah, was, that is cool. awesome. It was cool. Yeah, because that's a show where like, yeah, you, you the kids and then the, you go into the story in yeah. the middle, right? The actual story. That is fantastic. What was that like for you? Uh, th- that series was, was incredible. Because, I mean, A, I was a huge fan of that show. Um, So I actually got cast, at first, I got cast in one of the episodes, like in the story, not the campfire, um, and had a real blast. And um, and then I, I thought, wow, I'm Are You For The Dark? This is amazing. We shot it. And then the series was done. It got canceled. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm glad I just snuck in there. Um, so then two, three years later, they announced that they were going to bring the show back. Um, and I called my agent immediately saying, if they're casting Campfire, you have to get me in there. Like, please, 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 please. I'll do anything. Uh, and she said, yeah, yeah, I'm trying. And they wouldn't see me. And I was, I was livid. And then I called. I was like, sneak me in for callbacks. Like, we know this casting director. She cast me before. Like, please just get me in there. So like, you know, all of my child actor friends like went and had their callbacks. I had nothing. I was so angry. And then I was like, can you sneak me in with like the girls? Cause not, like first they did the boys. Like, can anything, please. Hustler, I'm, man, you're a hustler. Yeah, well, I was just like, I love it. that show like so much. I don't know. And, and I mean, that is not, I'd never hustled for any other thing ever. Um, but I was just so, it just felt like it's a sign. I, you know, it's, it's coming back and I just did this thing and I had such a great rapport with like the producers and the director and blah, blah, blah. So months go by and I'm, I, you know, I'm sad and I move on. And then I get a call from my agent saying, um, they, you know, you're, you're coming in for a meeting. It's like a meet, a meeting. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> What's a meeting? We've never had a meeting. Right. Um, right. What is a meeting? So, but it's at the, it's at like the casting director's, uh, office i'm like okay so we go in and there's you know dj like dj and ned the the creators the producers and they're like hey dave i'm like hey guys uh and they said you know you you've been really trying to like get in the room haven't you like i was like oh god that's just mortifying like uh i said yeah 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 and they're like uh and they said you know well um we you know we had to we had to audition a bunch of people um but but we wrote a role in the series for you. And I said, wrote a role in the series? What? And they were like, so what do you say? I was like, uh, like, is this, am I being punked? Like what's happening right now? So 
Oh my God. I just feel so, and I just want to say, I don't think there's any coincidence that it was in Canada where people are fucking nice. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is a dream. It happened. And, um, and then, you know, suddenly it was, I was off to like, we started about a month later and, um, it, it was shot in Montreal. Like the whole series was always shot in Montreal. And, um, and so we did the first season and I thought, well, that's exciting. And then suddenly they were like, Hey, we're flying all of you to New York. You're going to host SNCC. I was like, I don't know what that is. We don't get Nickelodeon in Canada. Like, so they, suddenly we were in Manhattan, like shooting all this promo stuff and there were billboards and we were like, what is going on? And that was, so that was like real. I mean, you know, I did a bunch of like real garbage, like movies and things, but that was like my one little sort of touchdown in like, Oh, is this what, is this what fame is? Like stars yeah, to be a star. And I felt um, a bit uneasy about it. Truthfully. Like I was like, I don't know that that's, uh, I I could see, I could see myself on that track and I could see what that probably would be for me. And I think I worried a bit about what that would, Mm, what that we talk a lot mean. about that we yeah. talk a lot about that about like if I had gotten famous right out of theater school I'd be dead I mean yeah. I would probably have done so many drugs and then um been so anorexic I would have killed I would have died at some point oh god yeah so what does that mean I'm I'm projecting ahead does that mean your eventual move into theater was a way of stepping back from the insanity of television I mean I wonder, like, it's interesting because I, I shouldn't say that I sort of discovered theater. Like, they were happening in tandem. I was doing community theater. You know, I do, like, the community musical in the small town where I lived. And then I'd say, hey, guys, I've got to go away for three weeks to shoot Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'll be back and I'll resume my role. Um, <laughs> so, so I think, I don't know. I think, um, so, so what, okay, so so the show happened and then, I was so I, I was going to a fine arts high school in their creative writing program because uh, oh. originally I wanted to audition for the drama program, but I had I was already on Are You Afraid of the Dark at that point, and so <laughs> they were like, "Okay, but if you have to go shoot it, like you can't just not show up for drama classes for weeks at a time. Like that's not that's right. not a thing." And so I said, "Oh, that's a solid point." So, but I could do that in. Um, in creative writing because it's like I was a studious kid I was like I will I will get everything in on time I will fax in every assignment from set. facts facts yeah right um so um so towards the end of high school I knew by then through this creative writing program was really when I um because we were writing in every genre but I kept going back to playwriting because it was like dialogue dialogue I get this like I I come from film and tv like I get this this is how I see the world and hear the world so I started applying for theater schools um, and then and then got cast. I got offered another series. Are you fucking? Was, this is like is the weird. greatest fucking story I've ever heard in my fucking life. Like, and I and I then this is not self-deprecating. I think I'm a I think I'm a good playwright, but like I've never been a good actor ever. Like, but. It was a time and place where there were roles for like a vivacious fat kid. I was much bigger as a kid and I was it. Like I was that kid. Right. Like, yeah. So it's like there you were a lot a, of. You had a niche. And I you really did. knew yourself. Yeah. So it was like I knew that, it, you know, oh, you're shooting. There's, there's a film coming to town about a soccer team. Right. And they're going to cast a bunch of kids. Betcha there's a fat kid role. Sure enough. There I am. Okay. Well, like, 
let's talk about that because that's really interesting to me and really i i mean i i also i i, I was an overweight kid and i'm a plus size lady now and i know that so tell me about that was there and i was there did you have feelings about being that kid it's interesting because i don't uh, i don't know that i had them in the moment but my god have i had them since um oh. i years years later i was uh in a like an emerging filmmaker program for the queer film festival in Toronto. And I made this short film called belly, which was all about like, not, you know, not just being like, like coming of age as like a chubby gay kid and like there's staff attached to that, but specifically coming of age as a chubby gay kid on camera and being chronicled yeah, as such. And like, and having like, and then, you know, we edited together footage of all of these things. Like, like things that I was like, I can't even believe they asked like an eight year old kid to say that on camera, right? Like, like, like stuff about your weight, yeah, like, like weird stuff. Yeah. Pan to this character. Um, anyway, weird film, and uh, this guy ends up in hospital, and so I'm the kid in the bed next to him, and he starts like chatting, like, "Oh, hey, what's your name? Oh, I'm Stan. Oh, what are you doing in the hospital? Oh, I'm fat. Oh, but like, what else is wrong with you? No, nothing. I'm just fat. But my parents think there's something else wrong with me because I'm so fat. And I was like. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Like, like how, like how potentially lethally damaging oh, that could no. be. Did, right. Did you just compartmentalize it? Or I you think just thought... so. Well, cause I think I was like, I'm on set with like a, I mean, you know, a bunch of friends who I knew, like we'd done a bunch of films together. Um, in fact, Ryan Gosling was in that movie with us back when he was, you know, a young kid. Um, Burt Reynolds was in it. Like, it was just like, we're doing this fun thing, but also, huh? So. Yeah. There's, there's just no attention paid even because my son is also gets called in for those roles. He only gets called in for the bully. That That's the only role he ever gets called in for. And when he gets cast, I just feel like it starts with costume fittings. It, the 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 otherness the separateness starts there and it's like they're they're calling me back is this really his like i can't are these really his measurements yes these are really his measurements okay and then and then inevitably it's something like we had to we had to it was hard to find pants that kind of thing and saying that to him and or in front saying it to me but in front of him you're like, but isn't this like, isn't this your job? Like, isn't your job so, finding clothing for bodies? Yeah, it is. And, 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 and I, I, yeah. And as an actor, I have the same thing. So I find that it, it I have been so traumatized by, by the, not just the, the words on, on sets and or, uh, in television film, but also as an actor by the crew and mm. by the, especially wardrobe and makeup and hair and, and, um, uh, anyway, so you compartmentalized that yeah. part of it. And also it sounds like no one was like mean to you, to your face. Well, like they weren't like, oh, we can't find clothes for you or. I mean, I, I think they were a bit, but I, but oh. I think I was really sheltered by like really good parents. Like, and I mean, you know, cause, <sighs> cause I was in, there were the kids on set who had like, you know, that stage parent who like really is there to make sure their kid is successful and make sure their oh, yeah. kid like that. And that was not the energy I had. Like I had, you know, like my mom is, is a refugee. Like she came to Canada as a refugee. Like she grew up in a very particular context. And this is a very different context where she's like, I'm just here to make sure no one is fucking with my kid. Like, um, and not in like an aggressive way, but just in, no, in like right. a, 
okay, let's let's walk away from this conversation. We don't want to do that. So I felt I was very taken wow. care of in that sense. Wow. Okay, so you what to describe the bridge between doing all of that and then when it's time for college and you're looking into acting program or you, at the beginning that's what you were going to do as an acting program. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I applied for a, a bunch of uh, programs, like determined that I was going to be that, you know, conservatory actor. And like, <laughs> um, I, I look back at it now and it's so funny. It's like my, like, I'm trying to sort of rationalize what my 17 year old brain, like how I chose who I applied to. It's so confused. Like I, I've applied for Juilliard like two or three times in my life, but like no other, like, but it's like Juilliard and then like, the local college in my town. Uh, like, huh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Like, what's the Juilliard connection? I have no, uh, anyway, I probably, someone told me once probably that Juilliard was the place and that really set in somehow. Um, so I applied for a bunch of uh, theater schools and there was one program in particular that I was curious about because they have a conservatory program uh, and they have a playwriting stream and they also had um what they at that time called creative ensemble. So like devised theater. Um, and I thought like that, there's something in that, maybe that's a thing. So, um, so I got accepted to that school and that, that school is a funny one. It's called York university. It's just outside of Toronto. And, um, and I mean, I'm sure there are many theater schools like this, but at that school, like everyone starts in first year in sort of a general, like all the theater students, you don't, you don't start your conservatory till second year. So yeah, you have your first year before. to sort of do mm-hmm. some shit and then you re-audition for the streams. So I went there pretty determined that I really wanted the, the conservatory stream. And then there's something about the, like, you know, my acting and movement and voice classes in first year that I was like, I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall there of like, I'm not great at this okay so say more yeah 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 like i because i mean i think you know filming tv was such a fun thing for me that i was like this needs to be fun and like i i think it was like i have to learn how to work in a very different way than i think my brain or even like how weird and disconnected from my body I am in these years like more than I'm prepared to do um where were you at with your body in that in terms of when you started that school like had you thinned out or like were you still like I'm curious like like many of us like you know you thin out and then you don't and then you thin out again sure um because I know that between between my first season of Are You For The Dark and my second season, I lost a ton of weight. And so when I showed up for fittings the second year, there was a bit of panic in the room um, of like, we don't know, like, ooh, like you're, you're like the fat country bumpkin kid. Like, ooh. Hmm. So they, they padded me. Interesting. They padded me. What? Like, yeah. They just like, they, they put, they put me in like really bulky layers with like things on top. Like not like actual, like a fat suit, right. but like. Right. They definitely Holy shit. like went out of their way to make me heftier because I think Holy they were like, shit. you know, kids at home, they don't want to be like, what's with Andy looks different. What's going on? Right. So, right. Oh my God. I was like, okay. Oh my so, God. God forbid people right? change. God yeah. forbid. So I think, um, 
you know, I like I came out when I was probably about 15. So I think after coming out was probably when I became hyper aware of, of my body because, you know, body image in queer men, especially in that era. Um, I think like we're in a very different time now <laughs> uh, when I think about like body positivity and in, in all kinds of communities, but less so then. Um, so I think I probably started theater school like um, probably slimmer than I'd ever been, I would think. Um, but still feeling like that was not the case. Um, uh, interesting. Yeah. Right. And so you're in these movement classes, these voice and speech classes, and you're like, I don't think this is really right for me. So then what do you do? So I, I, I like, uh, I, I sign up to audition for the for the conservatory, but I also sign up to audition for ensemble. And when I look at like the actual requirements of the audition as I'm building my materials, I'm like, I don't want to do a fucking Shakespearean monologue, like ever. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I do not. Right. To this day, like, it, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an artistic director of a company here. We have a, a Shakespeare component. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Like, and it's, you're like, that's going to be a hard pass on the old Shakespeare for me. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, it's just, I think I'm, I'm so, um, I'm so contemporary in my, in my tastes of everything. Um, you know, I, I read voraciously, um, but I want, I like I, historical fiction. Well, that's a bit Not of a slog thing. for me. So, um, so I think it was like, I want I think I, I started to take ownership of like, I know my creativity and I know where my strengths lie and my strengths lie in creating things. Um, and I just, uh, I think having come from like my creative writing uh, intensive, like high school program, I was like, I don't know if I can spend every minute of the day um, interpreting rather than than creating um or at least like i'm now sort of imbuing that with like some kind of like i have no idea if this is actually true that that i had this aha moment or if i just panicked and was like i don't want to learn shakespeare i'm going to do this thing some for some reason and maybe it's because i know that you went on to become a drag performer something for some reason i have this idea that maybe what was off putting to you is this idea that you were always going to be in that context, just embodying the words that, that you know, I was actually just saying this to somebody the other day, actors have a, a unique kind of prison as artists in the sense that if they don't go on to direct and write, which almost everybody is doing these days, but um, if they don't, they're, 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 limited to only ever expressing the words of another person and it actually makes them in many cases we've learned even from doing these interviews not that great at talking about themselves and their way of thinking because it's all just been inside and what's been outside is the words of other people I wonder if that somehow seemed true for you even then that's interesting yeah yeah I mean that that really resonates um so I went into this, I auditioned for this devised theater program. And even just like, you know, sometimes, like, sometimes you just know, like when, when I, when it was like, okay, this is what I have to prepare. Okay. This, this is a lot to prepare, but like, let's do it. Let's, let's go to the studio and let's just spend hours and hours and hours getting this down. 
And I thought like, okay, that's interesting. Like I'm really leaning into this rather than pulling yes. away. So like, yes. okay. Um, so I got into that program and. Um, so this was a devised. So devised it was theater. Meeting... So, so it's like, oh, third, so cool. I think 25 of us. Um, and, and it was literally like, you know, you, on Monday, they're like, okay, we're this week, we're in groups of four. Your central theme is isolation and, um, and you need, you know, the, like there'll be certain other components and you present Friday for an audience. Go. Um, oh my God. That's the coolest thing. Cool. And yeah, art is scary. Scary. Yeah. That must it was, been it was scary. great. It was really, and, and I mean, and they give us some really specific projects and, um, but it was great. It was just like generative, constantly generative. And um, yeah, I do think, you know, if someday I end up in a TV writer's room, like it, it, it will be because of that, of just knowing that I have to make something and I have to make something, I just have to make it work in a tiny, tiny period of time. There's no, there's not room for like this deep contemplation of, but well, hmm, what, oh, I don't know. It's just right. do it. Right. Oh, you're going to, that is, it, it, that is going to, if you ever did want to do TV in a TV, not, like I know I'm not in a writer's room, but like from what I know, um, yeah, that's like extremely helpful because overthinking and second guessing in those situations is like, nobody has time, time is money and just make a choice and fucking move on versus hemming and hawing so good for you so you so that taught you that like you just go with it you just do go. the thing yeah and I and I do think that how I work as a playwright is still very much that of of like I and, and sometimes to my detriment where it's like just I'm just gonna dive in and just write and write and write and write rather than like I'm gonna sit I'm gonna actually like outline this thing and really figure out beat by beat where I'm headed um, which I'm starting to do a bit more now in my practice. So, um, so I got, yeah, I got into that program, uh, and then still took like voice and movement classes, um, with, with the, some of the conservatory kids on top of that. Um, and then also started, uh, in playwriting and, and dramaturgy classes because I just thought it would all support what I was doing. Oh, and I'm sure it really did. Yeah. Uh, I am obsessed with drag performance, and I would love to know when that started for you and what the whole journey has been like. Yeah. So I always, I mean, when I, when I was in theater school, I was always going out to drag shows. Um, you know, like the the, the gay bar um, was was really like, like sacred space um, that, and, and I mean, I remember... I remember not really under, even understanding. I remember seeing drag for the first time and, and thinking like, why does this happen? Like, what is this? Like, and, and, you know, like why, and also like, why is it so compelling? Cause on paper it shouldn't be right. Like, okay. So someone's going to dress up and they're going to, they're not going to sing, but they're going to lit. Like they're going to pretend they're singing to a song, but it's, but I ended up being so like when it's done well, it can be really moving. And I remember like really, I think start, starting to sort of study it of like, what is that? Like, why is this, why does this resonate? And then got really into sort of uh, researching the history of drag. And I had never, I, and I always said like, I have no intention of ever doing drag. I just love witnessing it. I, I, I find it actually quite um, like that shared energy. I find quite compelling and, 
it sort of speaks well, it to sounds, the human level. It sounds, you know, Gina and I are both former therapists and it, it to me, it sounds therapeutic. I mean, oh. like that's when you talk about it, like it sounds, and, and, and it sounds, um, yeah, you said it sacred. So yeah. whenever there's sacred space, there's usually some kind of healing that goes on. Yeah. So then my, my husband, uh, well, then just a guy I was sort of dating. Um, he was, I, I was living in Toronto. He was here in Vancouver and he came out to visit me and I introduced him to, you know, the world of drag and all these shows, which again, he'd never really participated in, but, but it became this, you know, we were there every week to see the same show with the same Queens and being really into it. And, and then we, uh, and then I found out I, um, got into grad school in Vancouver. So we both moved back to Vancouver. And when I arrived here, I thought like, wow, drag here is really, it's really different from, from Toronto drag. Like it's different in the structure of shows. It's it, everything about it is like in Toronto, you know, a drag queen comes out and in one costume, we'll, you know, do like eight numbers and talk to the audience in between. And then she rotates out and the next one comes in and they, you sort of rinse and repeat. So it's just like, en- it's endless and like lots a of variety time. show kind of a thing. Yeah. But in, in Vancouver, it's like a drag queen comes out, she does one number in a dress, she disappears. And then the next one comes out. It's just like one number, no talking. I thought like, oh, like, this is odd. It's hard, it's hard for me to sort of penetrate it because you're, you're not developing that rapport with an audience. So, um, so we were sort of watching a show one night, having just seen all these magical shows in Toronto and saw the show that was just not particularly moving. And I remember leaning into my husband and saying, you could do way better than this. And not wanting to be those naysayers who just shit all over everyone else's efforts without actually doing anything, we said, yeah, actually, like, let's do that. Um, And so my husband had started a theater company here in Vancouver, uh, and I come from a bit of a fundraising background. And, you know, they had no grants, they had no money to to do the first show. So I said, I'll, you know, let me run some events. I used to run some events in Toronto. Uh, and let's have you as the drag queen star. Uh, and then for years and years, I mean, our, our events took off and, and, you know, at first we were doing them quarterly and then monthly and then weekly. And, um, and we really were living like the, like casual fall kind of life. Like I was the producer who carried the bags and, and he was the star. And, and then as he's a, he's a theater director. So as he then had to go direct a show, um, I was like the, the understudy and I started hosting his show just on sort of on a whim. I was like, I'll do this once because I really want to make some tip money because I've been producing the show for free for years. Um, and it'd be great to just be able to pay my, my liquor tab. And I did it and it was really magical. And, and it was it like, it, and also kind of emotional because I was like, Oh, Hey, child actor Dave, who did this thing for years and years and then stopped. How you doing? There you are. Hmm. Interesting. Um, And so it stuck and I've been doing it regularly for a decade and had a weekly show and yeah. I was expecting you to say so that you then started in Vancouver the kind of drag that you really related to more in Toronto. Is that is that how it worked out? Yeah, we just sort of, yeah, uh, yeah. I think um, 
and I mean, we, you know, we still do a lot of shows, uh, like we do guest spots on other people's shows that still have that, that sort of Vancouver structure. But yeah, I started, I started a show here called Shame Spiral, which was literally, um, I show up in an outfit. I do have a guest in the show and, you know, she prepares some numbers, but I don't know what I'm performing on any given night. So I have what's called the blender of shame, which is an actual blender with the blades removed, full of a hundred different songs on pieces of paper. And so when it's time for me to do, like I talk to the audience relentlessly, um, when it's time to do a number, an audience member comes up, picks a number, brings it directly to the DJ. And then the whole gimmick is like, will she even, will she know this? Will she even recognize it from the opening bars? Let's see what happens. And so it's like this gag that everyone's in on. Oh, I and, love that. And yeah, and, and it became, it was just so different than anything because everyone was so used to like, nope, you have to be in the exact outfit that's in the music video to do that song. And I'm like, well, no, this week I'm going to be in this sort of like flowy number and maybe I'm getting Shirley Bassey or maybe I'm getting Nicki Minaj or maybe I'm getting Dolly Parton and any of those songs are going to happen in what I'm wearing. What's it like to wow. do a Nicki Minaj number in a flowing dress well um it's great actually it's wild i, I actually broke into the drags in here by doing Nicki minaj drag okay <laughs> i just did rapper drag which is very weird to think about but um it's you know it's my, my husband talks my, my we both get interviewed about drag a lot i think because we're like the theater professionals who are also drag queens in the city so we sort of straddle two worlds that are right pretty, um associated but a bit loosely and he always talks about how drag is part um, part foot soldier and part um, court jester of like, like the, you know, the court jester is the only person who can like make fun of the king without losing his head. And that's yeah. drag queens. Like people listen to drag queens. Um, you know, you have mic time and, and people will listen. So you really got to make sure you know what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we take that very seriously like as a result you know we get hired to do political interviews with candidates running for premier here like because it's just like um because you can you can sort of penetrate a bit further than if dave was interviewing someone because there's a certain grandeur and a certain sure that's so performed uh but it, it gives you it gives you entrance so well, do, do you have any idea? Because what goes on in my head when I hear this is like, oh, they should have a television show, like a talk show, where they, in drag, you know, they, that those characters interview, do hard-hitting interviews, but a, as queens. Oh, yeah. As, as drag. That'd be great. That would be fantastic. Because also, what I love, what I love about what you're saying is the the mixture of yeah, being able to, it's so, humans are so funny. It's like if someone puts on a beautiful costume or a funny costume or a crazy costume or whatever kind of costume and then asks you a question, there is a, like even a hard hitting question. There's a, um, what is it? It softens the blow of reality, I think. And it co- sort of can be make believe, but it's not really make believe, which is what I think is great about that is also reminds me of like um, Sasha Baron Cohen stuff, which is where if you put on a character, you can sort of get away with a lot of shit. And also you can pinpoint in without people taking you too seriously. And so when someone's not taking you so seriously, they're apt to actually tell you the truth more. 
Yeah. I'm like, what does it matter? I'm just talking. I'm just talking to to these queens. Like, there's. It's so fun. It's so fun. And then all of a sudden, they're dropping these serious. You know, this they're getting into serious stuff, and you're like, oh, they, like when I watch stuff like Sasha Baron Cohen, Baron Cohen, I'm like, oh, oh my god, this is so intense and deep, and yet I don't really feel like I'm going to go off the deep end because it's under this guise of quote font, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa. It's real deep. It's like a real deep. It's like a real multi-layered. So I, I love this idea that you interviewed. Do you work as a team? Yeah, quite quite a bit. Um, not always, but but quite a bit. We we do everything. To, I mean, we we run a company together. We raise a kid together. We do drag together. Um, he directs the plays, most of the plays that I write. And so you haven't been performing, but I just saw on your Instagram that it's you're reopened and you're you got a show up or coming up soon yeah so i so so my husband runs a company called zz theater and i which i have worked uh with and for for uh 14 years um and so zz is doing its first show in its first live show in two years we did a full digital season during pandemic which you know great i'm glad we did it and we were able to employ a lot of artists but it's not it's not what we're designed to do, right? We're, we're theater artists, so uh, we're not filmmakers. Um, so it's really exciting there that we're, it, we're in rehearsal right now. But then about five months ago, I started a new job. So I'm the artistic, uh, the co-artistic and managing director of the, the Children's Theater here in Vancouver. Um, and so we just opened our first show in two years yesterday. And how'd it go? Congratulations. Yeah. What how'd it go? What are you doing? It's, what show it went it went really well. I mean, uh yeah, it's it's a show called Graf. It's uh sort of a an adaptation of the three Billy Goats Graf that's that's really actually like quite quite beautiful and timely because it really deals with um with immigration and displacement and like who um who does or does not deserve to be in a place that has resource. It's really um but you know, but in like uh, in a in a whimsical, um, digestible musical piece for kids, so that's really exciting. Ooh, um, and my other question is, can you mix kids theater and drag? Oh, we do. Yeah. So, Good. Um, okay. I mean, we do a lot of drag queen story time, but also the the children's festival here in Vancouver commissioned our company at Zizi a couple years ago uh, to create a drag show for kids. Um, which we perform with our son, just the three of us. Oh, he performs your son? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah, the first time we did it, he was, I mean, he was like a year and a half. So he, you know, he he was basically a cute prop. Um, right. You know, like he, like the Simba reveal in Lion King, he was the lion, right. like genuinely in the show. Um, and we're about to do, they've sort of recommissioned the show uh, because of course, you know, we did the show and then in 2020, we'd been booked to tour that show to every children's festival in Canada. And then oh. clearly we all know that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, right. So the festival has actually recommissioned the show now because it's very different doing a show with a four-year-old. Yeah. Um, because he like, he's like, I want my own numbers. We're like, okay, bud, let's figure it out. <laughs> Oh damn! He wants his yeah. own numbers. Oh yeah. Oh, and you're you're in drag. Figuring it yeah. out. You're giving him his own numbers. Well, we're figuring it out. So what we're doing, we have a bunch of studio time uh, in April to uh, to sort of build two tracks for the show. Of like, here's the show we do when Dexter wants to do the show, 
And here's the show we do when backstage he's like, I'm not doing that. And we're like, right. I honor that because if this isn't fun for you, we're not doing it. Like we've had a bunch of, right. of requests over the pandemic uh, for like us to do the show like live on Zoom. And we, we tried doing it once and it was just not fun for our kids. So we're like, yeah, we're not doing that. That's This has to be fun for him. If this is not fun for him, there's no point. Which is what your parents did for you when yeah. you were acting. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I, I want to shift gears a little bit to ask the question that I always want to ask people from Canada, which is, what do you think of us down here? <laughs> like, what? seriously, like, what do you think of us? Uh, I mean, I've dated, weirdly, a lot of Canadians, but not in a while since I've been married, which is good. I haven't been dating them while I've been married. But um, so I would love to know, like, when you look at us, what the hell, what is the general thing about us, our theater, our lives down here? We never talk to people in other countries, sure. to be quite honest. Well, I mean, I have a lot, like, a lot of people who I'm very close to are American and live in America. And I, I've spent, um, time, you know, a lot of time in, in various parts of America. What continues to blow my mind actually about the U S is like, yeah, how many States there are and how different they all are. And like, yes. sometimes, you know, when I visit, you know, like I I've been working on a show for Nashville children's theater. And so when I'm down in Nashville, I'm always like, wow, like this is the same country as when I visit Portland, San Francisco, yeah. like, or Portland. Yeah. Like it's, kind of mind-blowing and I mean you know we have a lot of provinces too but like not really we have you know between provinces and territories we've got like 13 seven oh, 13, <laughs> 13 okay. total right yeah yeah um, yeah yeah and and I mean not that any of them are a monolith and you know not different parts of a province right. obviously there are different but that continues to be wild um I think I think we're living in a super complex time uh is what I think and I think uh I think it's really dangerous for anyone to perceive um, the people of a particular place as being a particular thing, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I, I don't know. We have, we have family who live in rural Texas. So we've, we've spent a bunch of time there, Sure, which is like super memorable every time. Um, uh, But like, I guess my question is, I'll get really specific. Do you like feel you personally, I don't know how all Canadians feel and I'm certainly not going to get in touch with all my exes right now, but I, do you, do you like, like pity us that we're such a mess down here? Um, yes. Yeah. I, I, I worry. I genuinely worry because I think, um, yeah, like the world feels really scary right now. And, um, and I think because, because Canada and the U S are so intertwined in some ways and, and then also like completely removed from one another in others, um, to see like how our our politics are really like creeping and interweaving right now and not for the better is, 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 it scares me. It keeps me up at night for sure. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. But I like that you said, yeah, yeah. Like you kind of like look, look and say, oh God, because, because it, it it really resonates with me and it mirrors to me my own feelings of, oh God, what are we doing? Yeah. And so it's nice to actually have it reflected in someone that doesn't live here. Say, oh, not that Canada's perfect. Not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you look at us and say, yeah, oh God, you're right. 
you're living in, it's weird what's happening here. So thank you for that. So getting back to theater school, um, this was a, it was a four-year program at York. It was. Okay. And when you graduate, another thing we always ask people is when you graduated, did you feel prepared for the job market? Did you feel like your school, I mean, now you're an exception because you were already in the job market before you went to theater school. But in a different job market. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't think my child actor work in any way prepared me for how to carve out a life in the theater. Right. Because it's just especially like like auditioning for film and TV versus how do I become a playwright? Right. Like, it's just what I will say is, is theater school, the, the best thing that ever happened to me, I think, in my entire career happened while I was in theater school, which was every student had to take. Uh, a class called theater management. Um, and the the sort of, it was all about grant writing. So we, idea. yeah, so our final project was to write an operating grant for a fictional theater company that we came up with for the Canada Council for the Arts, which is, you know, a grant that I write all the time now. And the professor actually put together like a jury like a mock jury. So you had to submit the application and either the jury approved it or they didn't. And that was how, that was your grade. <laughs> did you get approved? I did, I did. Yes! But, but what I liked about it is that like, it, you know, you don't, they're, they're not just like, make this grant. They're like, okay, so the first part, like first we have to come up, you have to figure out your company. So this week you need to work on your company mandate and here's how that should look and then submit it. And if you, if you don't pass, work on it and resubmit it and it's you amazing just, like so it wasn't pass or fail it was like keep no, no, it's doing like actually work. Teach, teaching you something yeah, practical skills <laughs> but when so you that helped me yeah oh sorry go ahead no no so so i mean that like so i felt <laughs> i can't say that i felt like oh yeah okay i can just go out and get all these grants because no theater student is getting grants immediately um but i was fortunate that i was and I think maybe because I think probably because of my fine arts high school, where uh, in the in the literary arts program we had to submit like as part of our grade we had to submit our writing to like at least ten publications per term. So we were like really used to like sending things out. Um, so you know, even when I was in doing in theater school, I as I was writing little short really not great plays I was sending them to companies which like in retrospect I'm like I can't even believe I had the gall mm-hmm. to yeah. send this like but you know like and sometimes I would get responses um one time you know I got invited to come in and have a chat with the AD which like led to a commission like a year later you know so it's just I I think I had enough um gall to just be really pushy um but I definitely, you know, would, I definitely took a lot of more established artists out for coffee to say like, how, like, I know all the things, like, you're this playwright, and you also act, but like, how do you pay your bills from month to month? Like, I asked that question a lot. Um, And, you know, I think was both uh, saddened, but also relieved to hear that everyone was doing it in a piecemeal way, right? right like, oh, well, right. I do this voice gig, and then you know, right on Saturdays I do this other, like, you know, I, I'm a, I pretend to be a patient for doctors in training, like right. all these like, sure. weird little gigs. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. 
So when you graduated, what did you imagine would be the next steps? And then what actually were the next steps? <laughs> um, I, I think, I think I somehow thought that, you know, you, you, you self-produce a play and then it's a hit and then people pick it up and then like the theaters in town remount it and then they commission you to write more and that's it because that's you know because that's a trajectory of like two people I know and therefore that's probably what happened um and and instead I I think um you know I I self-produced a lot of stuff and but like um often not stuff that I had written like uh you know my favorite playwright Michel Tremblay who's this Quebecois god um, who I'm obsessed with, and he's the reason I became a playwright. I found out that he'd written a play. He's now like 70. Um, and he'd written a play when he was, I think, like 15 or 16 that won a playwriting contest. Um, and so it was produced in French and it had never been translated into English. So I was like, I'm going to get the rights to that and I'm going to translate it and I'm going to premiere it. Um, and I did, I did all those things and like, nobody really cared, but I cared, but like, but like I cared because it was like, I'm learning how to produce and I got so many right. things wrong, but people were very kind. And, you know, like the local theater critic called me to be like, Hey, I just got your, your press release and your press kit. Do you have time to chat? And I was like, yeah. And he walked me through like, this part was really good, but this, like, you're actually missing some information here. So you should think about adding this next time. And. I was like, what a generous, kind man. Like, he could have just ignored this and said, sure. I'm not going to that. Fuck it. Um, so, you know, I, I I had a lot of mentors who I, like, he ended up being one of my key mentors for years and years and years. And I, I was very fortunate that a lot of people, I think, uh, were taken by the heart that I bring to the table in everything I do. Um and which is why, you know, now that I've found myself in a leadership position, I very much uh, like, you know, it's like, let's pull artists up into leadership. Let's, let's like let's yeah. encourage people. Let's answer every email, show up to everything. What, um, I guess I'm going to turn the question back on you. Like, po so post theater school, you took people out and you said, how, so I, my question for you is how do you pay your bills from month to month? Cause people. Like, do you, are you get a salary? Do you pay yourself? How does yeah, it work? So, I mean, uh, since, uh, since the fall, when I got this new job, now I have a salary. Yes. But up until then, um, you know, a lot of people like, uh, God knows a lot of, uh, theater folk, like either are bartenders or servers and drag for me was my bread and butter for years. Yeah. So, right. you know, between my weekly show and then like, I would get some corporate gigs and that became, I, that was what I could rely on. Um, so corporate drag gigs, oh yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a. That's I mean, Ru RuPaul changed everything, right? Like now, yeah. people are like, "Oh, drag's interesting, and it's actually not as scary as we thought." Ah, so, yeah, understood, understood. I, I one of the reasons I'm obs obsessed with it uh, right now is is it, it it only recently occurred to me that what people are doing with it is creating their entire even though it's a character, they're creating, in a sense, their entire personal narrative from beginning to end. They have complete control over the story that is the story and the image that is going to be presented. And it, 
and and the people who seem the most successful at it, which was the thing I was going to say about you, are unshakable in their belief about who they are and who this character like you can't I'm I'm undeniable they're undeniable like, totally undeniable. <laughs> they're undeniable and you seem like a person who carries around sort of a natural sense of yourself and confidence did that come you think from having great parents or and maybe you also were just born with a predisposition to finding equilibrium um it's so interesting like now we're, now we're like we're getting deep here like it's so interesting to hear that because that's not my perception of myself do you know what i mean like i had this whole conversation with my mother yesterday about um you know i'm i'm almost 40 and and just sort of i think starting to like have these aha moments about myself of like interesting like it's interesting to hear people reflect what they take in versus what's happening in here right so I was like, oh, confident. Okay, cool. That's that's cool. That I'm glad that 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 that, that, that some someone's buying that. So um because I do like I I think, you know, I I I constantly am like, am I good at anything that I do? Like there's a constant self-evaluation, which in many ways can be crippling, but I also think um is a powerful, powerful thing to be constantly fighting because it means I don't, I, I, I can't be complacent ever. Well, right? also there's a humility about it. That is, that is necessary to like qu curiosity about, am I actually like, what am I projecting? What am I doing? And what am I like? There's, there comes a real, not, like facing the present versus compartmentalizing and saying, you know, like taking stock. I would say is a great thing instead of just either compartmentalizing or lying to ourselves. And, and um, it could become crippling, but it sounds like for you um, that sort of sense of what am I doing? Am I, you, you seem really curious about life and about your own process. And the older I get, the more I realize that curiosity is the thing that's going to save yes. us because there's not judgment. Stay in it. curious. Like earlier in our conversation, when I said, you know, I know that I'm a good playwright. I was really testing that out. Like that's new. I've never, I don't think I've ever said that. I was like, let's see how this lands. Okay. Yeah. How did it feel? How did it feel uh, to say it? Felt, that felt good actually. Well, yeah. just cause I, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm sort of, it's my film TV friends that I'm starting, like who I'm spending more time with um, that I'm like, whoa, like the way you talk about yourself is so cool. I've never <laughs> met people who are like, I'm I'm a like I'm a great actor. So like they could cast someone else if they want it to be terrible because I'm right. the best. And I'm like, right. Oh, oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I love witnessing. Dave, that. I mean, surely you don't still think you're not a good actor. Um, I think I'm a good drag queen. Like okay. I but but and and so, you know yeah, what, truthfully, a... like I I've now started um, bringing my drag practice and my playwriting practice together more and more. Like my, my plays are some of the ones I'm working on now are dealing with drag. I'm writing a solo show for Peach Cobbler to perform. Um, and that I think I can do because Peach is a, is safe. Like mm -hmm. I feel pretty, um, I don't want to say invincible, but, but, it, but like there's like impenetrable imp almost, yeah in a I way. Think impenetrable like, is the right word yeah dog oh, may everybody have a peach cobbler in, yeah. in their lives yeah. right we need so like we need that and i i i think everyone has a different 
hopefully finds a different version of that, even if they don't do drag, even if they're not a drag artist. It's like find the version of you that can show up and have um, um, and not be um, penetrated by garbage all day, all night, you know, yeah. like then it's well, even personal. if it's your own garbage, even if it's your own garbage. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Right. So like, I know that if I'm on in a meeting or something like that, I will still think, oh, you could be, uh, you could be garbage, but I won't let it in. It's like, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But here we go. We, we have things to do here versus yeah. really, you know, so that's my version of that. But I feel like drag is, it's just so, what is it? It is just such like a weapon and also a, it's a weapon and a olive branch um, at the same time. <laughs> olive branch at the same time. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!